Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. So good to see all of you all. Thanks for being here with us. Thanks for taking a part of your weekend here to spend with us. Thank you for being with us online as well. You know, one of the most exciting moments, folks, it, it, it is that moment when you realize you have finally lived enough life where you can, you can actually start stepping into some of those one-liners, some of those mantras that you heard growing up as a kid. And I want to share a few with you all that, that I heard growing up as a kid. Is that, is that okay? We okay with that? Okay. So uh, this one that we're going to start with, I usually heard this when I, I was trying to be sneaky, trying to finesse, trying to get out of things, okay? Oh, okay. So you must think I'm Boo Boo the Fool. <laughs> um, and con- confession, like, to be honest, I still don't know who Boo Boo the Fool is. So if, if anybody knows and you want to let me in on that, just grab me after, after the service. Now, this, this next one was all about healthy boundaries before that was a, a popular conversation in culture. Um, I ain't one of your little friends. <laughs> I would often hear that one from my mom. And what that meant was that I was displaying actions and or behaviors that communicated that I believed that me and my mom were on the same level. And I got to be honest with you all. I, I didn't really get it then, but I get it now because I have two kids now. I have a five-year-old daughter. Her name is Zoe, and I have a two-year-old son. His name is Levi, and sometimes I got to remind him, I ain't one of your little friends, and you, you, you have to really do it like that. You have to wave your hand like this, put a little tension on the eyebrow, and you just go, I ain't one of your little friends. Um, very effective. So my, <laughs> my son, he'll, he'll walk up to me. Like I said, he's only two. Like, He's like, put my shoes on now. Like, like who, you, who, you think you, who you think you're talking to? Uh, Levi, I ain't one of your little friends. And usually what he does is he, he just laughs. Um, he, he doesn't do anything else. But for me, it feels so good to just say it. On the inside, I'm like, man, I see why she said this all the time. Now, this last one-liner is one that I'm, I'm just now really starting to step into, and I'm sure this one is one that many of us heard at some point growing up, and that one is, we'll see. We'll see. And I didn't like this one very much. I got, I got to be honest, because we'll see was loaded with so many implications. I mean, it could mean... Um, I don't want to commit to saying yes right now and then not be able to come through. So temper your expectations or it could mean yes. It could mean uh, no, but I just don't want to tell you that right now in this moment. We'll see kept us up at night. It, it, It gave many of us mild cases of anxiety because we did not know what we'll see meant. Some of us, let's be honest, we we had some therapy sessions because of too many we'll sees. (laughs) And if if you think about it, this phrase, we'll see, it it is so connected to hope. At least for me, when when I would hear it, that's what made it difficult for me. 
you know, I, I would hear we'll see and my response would actually be to, to, to not hope because I don't want to risk disappointment. And if we are being real, doesn't it feel like the last almost two years of life has just been a big we'll see? <laughs> it's, it's been a season that has just been filled with so many disappoint, uh, di- disappointments, right? The, the pandemic, it came in and it disrupted every single aspect of our lives. And then the moment that we, we begin to feel like we're finally starting to accept this new reality, let's go ahead and add unforgettable viral videos of racial injustice to the mix. And then if that's not enough, if that wasn't good enough, let's, let's also go ahead and add political unrest to the mix as well. And then 2020 ends and we're like, whew, okay, finally. I can breathe, I can catch my breath, new year, new me, and life is like, we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see, and, and more or less, right, 2021 has felt like 2020, but somebody just put an X over the zero and added a one. It's felt like 2020 has just been following us around, and it's more so been new year, new variant. <laughs> then on, on top of all of this, we have our normal, everyday life stuff on our plates. I actually think that few people in our world today would use the word hopeful to describe the state of our world. Actually, words like heartbreaking, words like difficult, words like uncertain probably come to mind for so many It's been a season that has been filled with sadness and fear, and many of us have been grief-stricken. In fact, in a poll that was taken this year, in 2021, by the Institute of Politics at the Harvard Kennedy School, 2,500 adults were polled, and 51% of them said that at least several days a week, They feel down, they feel depressed, or they feel hopeless. And, you know, the last time I checked, there are only several days in a week. (laughs) So that's, that's saying that people feel this way every single day. And in the almost last two years, it's safe to say that many of us have lost our hold on hope. When we've had hope, we have experienced let down. Uh, our, our reality hasn't seemed to meet our expectations. And, you know, for some of us, maybe it's not so much that life has been giving us a big we'll see, but it feels like God himself has been saying we'll see in certain aspects and areas of our lives where he has not seemed to meet our expectations in one way or another. You know, maybe you were hoping for a job that hasn't come yet. Maybe you were hoping for healing in your body or in your emotions and it hasn't happened yet. Hoping for healing in a broken relationship and that hasn't happened yet. Or hoping for freedom from some sort of addiction and it hasn't come yet. Maybe hoping for a significant other and that hasn't happened yet. And it it brings me to the question, it makes me ask the question, well, 
is it worth it to hope when it hurts? And you've probably have wondered this too. Or to, to pull it, you know, put it differently, how do we hope when it seems to hurt? If I am risking even more disappointment, even more frustration, is it even worth it to hope? Is it worth it to step into that vulnerable place called hope when everything else around us seems to reinforce the very opposite of what we're hoping for? Is it worth it? Well, believe it or not, it is the Christmas story. It's the Christmas story that actually addresses this very question. So just to give a little bit of context, prior to the birth of Jesus, there was a period of time called the 400 years of silence. And this is the period of time between the close of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament. And it's called the 400 years of silence because during that time, there, there weren't any new significant prophets or the people who spoke on behalf of God to the people of God. God didn't say anything significant to his people during this time span. And not only that, this was a time that was filled with incredible hardships and setbacks. It was filled with things like war and revolts and ultimately God's people, they were conquered four different times during this time period. Words like frustration and pain, confusion come to mind to describe this time. It was most certainly a time of hopelessness. So when we think about the people who were alive towards the end of this time period, they probably would have been familiar with many of the Old Testament prophecies about this coming savior, this coming Messiah that would come and set the Jewish people free from their suffering and from their oppression. And one of those that they would have been familiar with are the words of the prophet Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 9. And in Isaiah 9, we have one of the most famous passages about Jesus, the Messiah, that we often hear during Christmas time. And Isaiah wrote it hundreds of years before this silent period to the people of Israel. And I want us to read it together. So if you have your Bible or you have a Bible app, go ahead and go with me to Isaiah 9, chapter 2 or uh, Isaiah 9, verse 2, and underneath the seat in front of you, you'll see a Soul City Bible. And in that Bible, Isaiah 9, 2 is on page 560. Okay, Isaiah 9, 2 says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Okay, I want to take a pause there. Isaiah, he would, he would often do this. He would often prophesy in this pattern to Israel, this pattern of, of pain, then promises. And that's what he, he's doing here, where, where he's wrapping up this section about a foreign invasion that would come. He's saying, hey, there's, there's this thing coming, this invasion coming that will bring darkness to Israel, but then he goes on to say, even though you will experience gloom, even though you will experience oppression and darkness, a great light is coming. A great light is gonna shine on you. This season of pain, this season of oppression will come to an end because of this light. 
And this light is the Messiah. And then after verse two, he goes on to explain what does this Messiah's light look like? What does it look like practically? He, he, he goes on to talk about it looks like joy, which John talked about last week. It looks like freedom from, you know, oppressive rulers and things like that. But then in verse six, he tells us why, why these things happen. So I want to jump to verse six and read that together. This is what it says. For to us, a child is born to us. A son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah tells God's people that the reason why you will experience this freedom from gloom and oppression is because unto us a child will be born. Unto us a savior will come, a son will come. In other words, he's saying rather than you going to this Messiah, this Messiah is coming to you. To us, it it speaks of the fact that this Messiah will be close. He will be intimate. And not only that, but this Messiah would come in a way that you least expected it. Rather than coming as this muscular, conquering king, he's coming to you as an innocent infant, as a, as a child. And, and this just seems like God, he just often does this to us, doesn't he? That God will give you what you are hoping for, but sometimes it looks completely different than you expected. Maybe, maybe God gives you that job that you are hoping for, but it doesn't look exactly the way that you expected it to look. Maybe you were hoping to date that particular guy or that particular lady. And once you do, you find out that I'm going to leave that alone. Okay, (laughs) just I'm going to just leave that alone. (laughs) The Messiah, the Savior, he's coming. He would come in a way that they least expected. And then in addition to this, he tells us what he will be called. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And the thought here isn't just that we will call him this. This will, you know, be his name. No, this is actually his character. This is the essence of who he is. This is what he has come to the earth to do. And then Isaiah says that his government or his kingdom, his his sphere of influence will expand and expand and expand and have no end. He is saying, Israel, this is your hope. And he's saying that this is our hope as well. So how do we hope when it seems to hurt? I believe that it starts with changing what we think about hope. That's what we see here in Isaiah 9. Hope is richer and it's more nuanced than we may Think. See, our, our, our world that we, the world that we live in, think, it thinks about hope completely different than the way that the Bible describes hope. Oftentimes, not always, but often in our world, hope is, is one of two things. It's often a goal, right? We may say things like, 
man, I, I hope I can make this deadline at work. Or hope is often the, the reason for expecting something good. So, so for example, we may be like, ah, oh, man, not hitting traffic at this point is my only hope for not being late to work. But the, the most important characteristic of how our world relates to hope is that hope is an expectation of good, but it's always uncertain. It's always uncertain. You can't be 100% sure about what you are hoping for. But biblical hope is different. Our, our world's hope is essentially, we'll see. But biblical hope is something certain. And biblical hope isn't first and foremost a optimistic or even a realistic goal. It's not even just the reason for wishing for the best. Biblical hope, first and foremost, is a person. Isaiah 9 in the Christmas story shows us that, that Jesus is the personification of hope. He is our living hope. Because of him, we have access to everything that we will need. When we're in a season where we need strategy or we need clarity, he is our wonderful counselor. When we are in a season where, where we need a strength beyond our own, we need a savior, he is our mighty God. If we are feeling unloved or alone, if we're feeling rejected, he is our mighty or our everlasting father. This is who he is. If we are in a season where life is chaotic, it is confusing, life is uh, crazy and work is crazy, we find ourselves in a storm, he is our prince of peace. This is ultimately what the Christmas story is all about. You know, when Jesus came to earth, it wasn't just like, oh, cool. Cool. The Savior's born. Okay. Hope is here. No, this was the best. This was the biggest comeback in history. After 400 years of perpetual hopelessness, Jesus was ushering in a new era of hope. Jesus was stepping in. Hope was stepping in to the human story when the human story was the most hopeless. And this is what the Christmas story shows us, that hope fills what feels hopeless. I don't know who needs to hear it today, but hope fills what feels hopeless. And just as Jesus stepped in to the human story when it was the most hopeless, a hopeless humanity over 2,000 years ago, our living hope is still stepping into hopeless lives today. Our living hope is still stepping into hopeless situations today. Our living hope is still stepping into hopeless relationships today, hopeless diagnoses today. Our living hope is stepping in to, human, to the human story today. Hope fills what feels hopeless. This kind of hope right here that we're talking about, this is far better. This is far different than the hope that our world is used to. This hope isn't a, a we'll see. This hope is we have seen. It is a we have seen. It is a confident expectation of good because of Jesus. This is our definition of hope. But if we're being honest, which we, we came here to do, if, we, if we're being real, I don't know about you, but, but I don't always feel that confident expectation of good. 
I, I can very easily slip into discouragement. I can easily slip into disillusionment with certain situations in my life. But something that helps me in those moments is being aware of this tension that I have an already and a not yet hope. I have an already and a not yet hope. What does that, what does that mean? I want to explain it to you with a visual. Okay, so many of us, we already know what it's like to have an already and a not yet hope. Has anyone ordered from Amazon this week? Okay, yeah, hallelujah. Yeah, Amazon. We, we've, anybody ordered, um, what, let's Instacart this week? Have you, have you DoorDash this week? Have you ordered from any food apps this week? Okay, you did. So the moment that you ordered, maybe you ordered on your computer, maybe you ordered off of your phone, the moment that you press confirm order now, that pro- th- this box, this product was already yours at the moment that you press confirm order. Now, the guarantee of that was the price that you paid. It was that money that came out of your account, right? And I'm pretty sure that you didn't say to yourself, well, I'm gonna go ahead and press order now, but it's, it's pretty likely that I won't get my Chipotle burrito. It's a chance. No, you probably didn't say that. You probably didn't say, yeah, my, my Amazon package is, it's, it's a pretty realistic possibility. It won't, it won't, it won't get here. No, you, you probably had a confident expectation that this box, this package, this food, this burrito, the groceries, it would arrive eventually. But, but this middle place right here, in between the paying and in between the receiving, this middle place is the already and the not yet hope. And this is a picture of our, our relationship with Jesus. This is a picture of the, of the Christian life because we have, have, have a savior that has already come. He, he's already finished his work on the earth. He is our living hope now. We have so many benefits and blessings in our relationship with him right now. And yet there are still promises. There are still hopes. There are still things that we are waiting to receive. And this is the tension that we exist in. Now, I don't know what this tension looks like for you. You you can put whatever you're waiting on right now, you can put it in this box. Maybe, maybe for you, it's, it's moving forward and, and healing from grief that has been crippling for so long. Maybe what's in your box is you know, just believing that you are good enough. You know, and, and ending that cycle of thinking that your, your value will come from the next thing will come from the next promotion, the next relationship, the next accomplishment. I don't know what's in your box. I don't know what you may be waiting on. But when Jesus 
came to earth and he accomplished his work. It was very similar to us hitting that pay now button. That Jesus, he has paid the price for us. And not only that, but he is with us in this middle place. He's with us in this, in this uncomfortable, unknown, awkward tension that we exist in. He's with us in this already and not yet hope that we exist in. And this is how we combat that, we'll see. What the Christmas story teaches us, what it, what it shows us, is that the presence of Jesus stepping into our lives, coming to earth and meeting us, it is God's guarantee that he will fulfill his promises, that we will win in the end. But I, I, don't, wanna, I don't want you to hear me wrong. Having hope does not mean that you don't have disappointment. Having hope means that disappointment doesn't have you. It means that it doesn't consume you. It means that it doesn't control you. I believe Martin Luther King Jr., he said it best when he said, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. And you see that already and not yet hope tension in that statement that we must accept the finite disappointment, but never lose the infinite hope. Jesus is our infinite hope. And this, this, this idea of, of hope filling what feels hopeless is all about the power of presence in seemingly hopeless moments. And I wanna, I wanna draw to a close with the illustration of what this looks like, the power of this in my life. I told you guys, you're getting, getting all the personal tea today. <laughs> so about uh, nine years ago, I experienced one of the scariest moments of my life personally. I, out of the blue, I lost the ability to speak, could not talk, literally could not communicate, couldn't form. It, it, was, it was insane. And this resulted in me being rushed to the hospital by one of my brothers who happened to live close at the time. And while I was at the hospital, I was diagnosed with this very serious autoimmune disorder. And I can recall sitting in that hospital bed afraid. I was scared out of my mind, confused. I was angry and I felt alone. And I don't know if you've been in moments like this in your life where you've felt these, these emotions. Then, out of nowhere, um, my parents, who had driven two hours in the middle of the night, they walked into the hospital room. And it, it, it's hard to describe, but just seeing them and, and just having them there, it, it instantly brought a sense of comfort. It, it instantly brought a sense of hope. Their, their presence with me in my pain, it reminded me that I wasn't alone, that I was, I, I was loved, that I was seen. And nothing dramatic, nothing changed physically in that moment. Nothing like shifted in that moment. But their presence alone with my brother who was there, it, it, it helped me to have the confident expectation that it would. 
And I was experiencing this tension of the, the already and the not yet hope in that moment. And I didn't even have the language for it yet. I bring up this story because I, I'm still waiting on a hundred percent healing. This isn't a, a finished story. I, I want you to know that I know what it's like to have a box, to, to, to have the confirmation that Jesus has already done a work. He's already paid a, uh, paid a price, but we're still waiting. I know what it's like to sit in that tension. But what Christmas and what the Christmas story shows us is that just as my parents walked into the room, into the hospital room, and I instantly felt the peace and the hope that came with their presence, Jesus steps into moments like these. Jesus steps into the hard. He steps into the dark. He steps into the painful moments of life. And in those moments when the presence of Jesus comes and we're aware of his presence, that is where hope is birthed. He is our living hope. And he is our guarantee that God will ultimately deliver on his promises on the things that he has told us is ours. Listen, hope is filling what feels hopeless right now in your life. Hope is filling what feels hopeless in your life right now. Starting this week, I wanna, I wanna encourage you, I wanna invite you to do something very simple but significant. And that is to pray this prayer. My hope is here. My hope is here. This isn't a, a prayer for wishful thinking, and this isn't a, an attempt to try to deny whatever reality you are facing right now, whatever is true in your life. But this is, this is a prayer of, of, of centering and becoming more aware of the presence of Jesus in your life. And this has proven to be so powerful for me. When those thoughts of discouragement or pain or, or this will never change. It'll always be this way. When those hopeless thoughts come, when those will see sort of thoughts come, take a breath, pause, and just, and just say, my hope is here. My hope is here. If you find yourself facing an impossibility and you like, I, I don't see a way out of this my hope is here. My hope is here. This is what Jesus has invited us into. Listen, hope is on a comeback. Actually, hope is comeback. You like what I did there? You see the, see the, the bars now? <laughs> hope is on a comeback. Hope is already here. It's already back. It is here today. It is here in your life. It is here in your story. And it is here this Christmas. I want to invite you all to stand with me. You can put your hand on your heart, put your hands out, however you, you want to receive prayer. I just want to pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus who is our living hope. He, he is 
person of hope. And we thank you that you have sent him at the first Christmas, yes, but he's here right now in this room. And you are moving in our lives, in our stories right now, even when we can't see it, Lord. And I pray, God, as we exist in this tension of the already and not yet hope, that we would experience the comfort and power of your presence in the middle, in the waiting. In Jesus' name, amen.